Welcome to this Buckhalter Trade Secrets and Employee Mobility Podcast. My name is Dylan Wiseman. I'm a shareholder in the San Francisco and Sacramento offices of Buckhalter. And my practice is exclusively trade secrets and employee mobility matters. My name is Alexandra Grainer. I'm also an attorney in the San Francisco office, and I focus on litigation and trade secret and employee mobility matters. Hi, my name is Pete Mack. I'm also in the San Francisco office. I do generally corporate and business litigation. I've been working on trade secret employee mobility matters since probably the last 20 years. Thanks and welcome back to this Buckhalter Trade Secrets and Employee Mobility Podcast. We're talking about several different ways that employers can improve their California confidentiality agreements. And one of the ways is, of course, to have a California-specific agreement where you've got California choice of laws and a California venue provision. Pete, can you give us your thoughts on that? Well, as of 2017, it's been required. There's a section, it's Labor Code Section 925, which requires that, and it prohibits a contract from having a choice of law provision other than California law, or from requiring the employee to appear in court outside of California, as long as the the work was performed in California and the employee is in California. That's a really good point, Pete, and it really was one of these... uh, pieces of legislation signed in by Governor Brown, where we had all sorts of California residents that were living here and working here, kids going to school, paying taxes, everything like that. And then they found themselves under the choice of laws and choice of venue provisions from another state like Minnesota or uh, or New Jersey, where they allow for covenants not to compete. And so it was really an effort to get uh, California businesses or those businesses are doing business here to uh, upgrade and change their uh, confidentiality and their employment agreements. It is important and there's a lot of reasons why an employer, particularly one that's not based in California, would want to have a choice of law from another state because as Dylan said, California is probably the only state or one of the very few states that has a very strong public policy outlawing covenants not to compete. And most states have much more favorable law on that. Yeah, it's like California and South Dakota, but nobody does business there. So, you know, this is the big engine that drives our economy is the fact that people are free to leave and go to a competitor the very same day. There is one point to be raised there also just in that statute. If you do have one of these clauses in there uh, and the employee uh, brings an action against you, against you to to uh, not enforce that, there is a one-way attorney's fees clause in the statute. In other words, the employee will get their attorney's fees and you will not. So the simple fix is get those provisions out of any type of employment agreement with California residents or people who are primarily doing uh, their work here in California. I think it's interesting how under California law, even recently, courts have been expanding the prohibition on non-solicitation clauses and considering them falling within the prohibition on all restraints on competition. So for a long time, we've seen how 
customer non-solicitation clauses are unenforceable, except to the extent you can prove that perhaps a customer list is a trade secret, um, and then you get into the intersection between trade secrets and customer non-solicitation. But recently, in November of 2018, there was a, a case involving AMN Healthcare, and the Court of Appeals said that employee non-solicitation clauses were unenforceable. And before that, there was, the courts were applying a reasonable standard under a case called Moyes. And this new case from just a few months ago basically said that that reasonableness standard is not correct, that under another Supreme Court case, absolutely no restraint on trade is going to be enforceable in California. So that goes to soliciting customers from a previous employer and soliciting employees of a previous employer. Now, there is one big exception to all that, which is a trade secret exception. Right. Which brings us back really to why you want to have uh, <clears throat> a confidentiality agreement so that you can educate educate your employee, educate your opponent, and educate the court as to what exactly is a trade secret and what exactly you are trying to protect. And building on that, let's talk a bit about customer non-solicitation clauses. Now, the law in California has been for quite some time that customer non-solicitation clauses, you can't use them where everybody in your industry knows who the customers are. I think we kind of agree with that. If everybody's fishing out of the same small pond, the customers you know, split their loyalty among a bunch of different, um, a bunch of different uh, vendors, then you can't use this as a monopoly. Uh, but I think we've got a different set of facts where you've got industries that where it takes a lot of time and effort to develop the so-called book of business. And PD, you could talk a bit about what protections are available to employers through confidentiality agreements as far as uh, in certain industries where the customer identities and customer lists may be protected as a trace. Well, it, it again, go, does go right back to having the agreement because the exception to the non-solicitation rule is that it has to be a trade secret. So there again, you have to, it's very helpful to be able to document that what you're protecting here really is a trade secret. Uh, and that would be, as Dylan said, areas where you have to expend a lot of time and effort identifying the particular customers and what their particular needs are, what their particular characteristics are, what they have bought in the past, uh, who are the decision makers, and what's their, what's their contact information. Uh, what is their preferences between one product and another? These things do take a lot of work to to get. They are valuable because they are not known. And if they are the subject of reasonable measures to keep them protected and, and, and secret, they are a trade secret and they can be protected under the law. Yeah, there, there are some industries that naturally lend themselves to this. Um, insurance brokers, uh, banks, professional services, subscription services, uh, mortgage brokers, where these customer lists, it takes a lot of time. You have to go to all those chamber of commerce meetings and you got to you know, make all the cold calls, all this time and effort to develop the identities of those customers. And then they are afforded certain protections where under California law in those industries, 
I think that we're, we will continue to see that they uh, courts will enforce the non-solicitation provisions because they're nothing different than just enforcing the Trade Secrets Act. It's the same protections. Like, the Trade Secrets Act, you can't solicit customers that are a trade secret. The contract doesn't add anything beyond what the statute already provides. So we've now talked about, you know, the spectrum of industries and in some industries you're not allowed to have a non-solicitation clause because there's that's a restraint on competition and the customer lists are not going to be a trade secret. Whereas in other industries you maybe want a non-solicitation clause in your confidentiality agreement. How do you go about making that decision and assessing the risk. Is there any risk to including a customer non-solicitation clause in a confidentiality agreement? Yeah, where you're in an industry where all the competitors are well known and everybody's vying after the same opportunities and it doesn't take a lot of time and effort. There's no real building of a book of business. Customers are making their decisions based on pricing and factors like that. There's a risk. And the risk is, is that your competitors who are complying with the law can maintain a claim under California's Unfair Practices Act and try to get an injunction to keep the, the company from using that. Um, there's also been situations in industries where everybody knows who the customers are and the employer's obviously using the non-solicitation provision to try to wall off and monopolize customers where an employee refuses to sign a non-solicitation provision and then they get fired. And then the courts have come back and said they can um, maintain a claim for wrongful termination in violation of public policy because you can't use these type of provisions that are in intended to protect customer lists as a trade secret to protect very well-known, uh, very uh, easily known customers that are widely known throughout the industry. And, and indeed, even, even if there's not a specific claim against you, if you end up in court in front of a jury and you've got something in your contract that's just, just overreaching, yeah. you're going to look bad. You know, no, it's, the it's, atmospherics are not good. In California, uh, while we uh, recognize employees have the ability to leave and go to a direct competitor, and in the... Uh, field of soli uh, these solicitation provisions. Customer solicitations is one route that is very well documented, very well recognized. A separate and very distinct type of solicitation provision also pertains to employee solicitation. So, uh, Alexa, there was a, a recent case that came out last year dealing with employee non-solicitation. This would be a provision where if you leave, you can't try to recruit and bring over your co-workers to another uh, company. And uh, you had a chance to write about this, so why don't you provide a, a short update about that? Right. So up until November of last year, 2018, employee non-solicitation clauses were, for the most part, considered valid in California. They were subject to a reasonableness standard. And that came from a case called Moyes. And the Moyes court held that a top executive who essentially raided his former employee employer and took lots of the top performing employees, that was not a restraint on trade because it was a reasonable restraint. Um, the Supreme Court, in a case called Edwards, then subsequently held that we don't subject our statute that prohibits restraints on trade to a reasonableness standard. 
And in light of that ruling, uh, in November of 2018, we have this additional case that says an employee non-solicitation clause is going to be void if it imposes a restraint on trade. It doesn't matter, even if it's reasonable, it's going to be unenforceable. Yeah, it's an important case because it's really consistent with California's longstanding public policy that uh, we had this case, Moyes, which said, look, these we're going to consider these to be not that much of a restriction. It's a reasonable, narrow restraint on your ability to leave and go to work for another. And then, yeah, but Edwards says, look, we don't follow that. So California, and think now that the message has been sent to employers that you really do need to get these employee non-solicitation provisions out of your agreements. And it's another strong reason why folks uh, here in California should consider looking at their agreements and considering to remove those. The court also left open in the uh, employee non-solicitation case, the fact that the contract provisions might be unenforceable, but if you still have an employee rating situation where uh, you know, 15 employees leave in one day with no notice, uh, that you can still maintain what's called an interference claim that's a tort claim, it's not a contract claim. Which I think leads us to our next topic about how um, even at the federal level, there's been a strong push by Congress to have employers modify their confidentiality agreements. And Pete, you could speak to the importance of the changes under the Defend Trade Secrets Act. Yeah, the the Defend Trade Secrets Act, it's it's relatively new. It came in in 2016. And um, there is a particular provision in there which is, in essence, a, a carve-out which says that it is allowable for to disclose trade secrets to to the government or even to an attorney who is investigating uh, employment discrimination or those kinds of claims. And they enforce it by saying that um, if you do, uh, you must notify the employee of that right in their contract. And, and there's an enforcement provision in there as well, which says basically that if you do not comply with the with the with the notice provision and tell the employee what their rights are, you will not be able to get your statutory attorney's fees or or punitive damages. So there's a hefty penalty. I think I've said for a while now. It seems like it's a fair amount of social engineering by Congress to get American businesses to go back and look at your confidentiality agreements because. If you don't have this magic language that Congress wants about whistleblowers and complying with governmental investigations, which frankly in 20 years I've never seen that ever happen, but if you don't have that language in your contract, uh, you you can't recover fees, which is and and punitive damages, which is a huge hammer. So I think again, it's uh, a strong message uh, to go out and really take a look at these contracts and and consider getting them modified. Um, with that, I want to thank you both for participating. This has been uh, our most recent episode of the Buckhalter Trade Secrets and Employee Mobility Podcast.